Hello and welcome to another episode of Please Ask Mickey, a podcast for women where we talk about the real shit when it comes to being a woman. Um, so, as you know, at the moment, we this season is about inspiring women, well, women who inspire me, inspire us. And on today's podcast, I do... I have an incredibly inspiring woman on, but this podcast was not scheduled to happen. This week, in I live in um, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, and very close to home, another woman lost, was murdered. Her and her children were murdered um, uh, due to domestic violence. There's no other way to say that. Um, and it has shaken me up because, and I think it, it has really, it has really hit home for a lot of people because the reality is, is that domestic violence is a silent epidemic. So far this year in Australia, nine women have lost their lives. We're not even into the ninth week of the year. Um, this subject is something that I'm so passionate about because the thing is domestic violence isn't just being, isn't just a punch in the face. Um, it is so much more than that. And a lot of the time there are women who don't even recognize that they are in an abusive relationship. Uh, there is a trigger warning on this episode for anyone who has experienced domestic abuse. Um, if you are looking for Extra support, uh, you can call 1-800-RESPECT. That is a national number. Um, and make sure that you – it is so important to seek um, seek help if you need it. I had had the pleasure of speaking to the incredible Jackie Lackmond on today's episode and she – as a survivor of domestic abuse herself, she is so passionate. She is the CEO of Australia's CEO Challenge, which basically challenges – it's a non-for-profit organisation that challenges CEOs to support those affected by a DFV, which is domestic family violence, in their workplace. Um, there's so much more involved with it and she discusses it on this podcast. We talk about what a what a what an abusive relationship looks like, what are the warning signs, what's the cycle, how do you navigate it with children? Um, who do you go to? Who can you talk to? How can you how you can be a support to um, someone who is possibly in a situation like um, in a domestic violence situation, we discuss that it goes outside of just um, a relationship, uh, like a loving relationship, you know, uh, uh, yeah, outside of a relationship, domestic violence looks like a lot of things and how we can do something about it. Um, so enjoy. It's This episode is full of so much. This is for everyone. We need to be discussing this. We need to be talking about it and we need to be doing things, need to be doing stuff about this. Um, I get so passionate and emotional talking about it because 
It is killing women. Toxic masculinity is killing our women and our children, and we need to do something about it. So enjoy this podcast and share it around to everyone that you know because it needs to be out there. Okay, enjoy. Thanks so much for coming in today, Jackie. I know it's so late notice. I just decided like on a really last whim, um, last whim, that makes no sense, but in light of the of what's happened this week, um, Hannah Baxter, her ex-husband killed her and her children. That's what happened. Um, I feel like this topic really needs to be touched on because I think there are so many women out there who might not know that they're in a situation that could be potentially dangerous or is dangerous and they don't know what to do about it. We need to be talking about this. So Jackie, thank you so much for coming on. Sorry. So tell us, um, hello. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so, for having me. Oh, it's so Jackie is so great. She's already just like come in here. She's like, I want to talk face to face. Like, let's do this properly. Just like totally my kind of person. And I cannot believe I've absolutely hit the jackpot with our guest today, I was like, I need someone who works in DV and all this kind of stuff. And Jackie's like, so I'm the CEO of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my Lord. <laughs> so tell us what you do and why sure. you're so passionate. Okay. Um, so I'm the CEO of an organization, a not-for-profit here uh, in Brisbane uh, called Australia's CEO Challenge. And what we do is we challenge CEOs of workplaces to um, understand uh, that those in their workplace may be affected by domestic and family violence. And we challenge them to commit to supporting those affected in their workplace through having a DV-specific policy, um, uh, engaging with training and awareness around what is domestic and family violence, so what constitutes it, how would you recognise the signs and symptoms in your workplace that someone might be going through it, and then if they felt safe enough to talk to you as a manager or a peer or a colleague, what do you say? How do you respond? What does that look like? And then, you know, really highlighting for workplaces in particular that you're not the experts, we're not expecting you to be the counsellors, but your response should include a referral to specialist services. Mm. So the framework that we use for workplaces when we challenge CEOs is to raise awareness and educate about how to recognise, respond and refer to those affected. We also talk about those in your workplace who are using domestic and family violence behaviours and what does that picture look like and how can we look at prevent a prevention piece. So look, I just want to go back a little bit around... Yeah. Uh, the history of Australia's CEO Challenge. Yeah. Um, because we've been around for 18 years. Yeah. Um, we came out of an initiative from the then Lord Mayor Jim Sawley, who was looking to tackle an issue in our community that wasn't being addressed. Mm. And that silent epidemic is domestic and family violence. Mm. Um, we, um, Jim, pulled together a working group which include uh, government, workplaces, um, local government. And out of that initiative came Australia's CEO Challenge. At that time, part of that initiative was um, a representative from Minter Allison Law Firm. And uh, Minter Allison had been supporting our not-for-profit organisation for 18 years. Awesome. And our offices um, are located in Waterfront Place. Um, we're not government funded. And uh, we get our revenue and income from doing the work that we do in workplaces. 
Mm. Um, I uh, joined the organisation five years ago. Um, having had a career back in New Zealand um, in retail operations. Yeah, right. And uh, I started on the dock unloading trucks and had a goal to get to head office um, so I didn't have to work late nights, weekends and public <laughs> holidays. Um, anyone who's ever worked in retail will feel me on that. Oh, yeah, I used to. <laughs> um, you know, and I did that um, having experienced domestic and family violence through that time. And um, I made it to head office. I became the first Indigenous woman on the board of that organisation wow. and their first National Customer Services Manager. My boss, his name was Tim Wilson, and um, one day he said to me, are you okay? And I had been showing signs and symptoms. I thought I was hiding what was happening for me, but, it, you know, it does play out. Um, I wore a number of masks you know, I didn't want to tell anyone because of the shame mm. um, and mm -hmm. embarrassment associated to this issue. A decade ago in society, you go to work, you do your job, you go home. We don't want to know about your personal problems. We're not here to, you know, address those. And boy, have we come a long way. Mm. And there was no DV policy, but Tim, as my manager, cared about me. And he cared about me enough to ask if I was okay and I felt safe enough to tell him I wasn't and what was happening. Oh, I'm getting emotional already. <laughs> he then, uh, you know, there was no policy or anything, but he linked me into EAP. And for all of those years, EAP well, was, oh, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry um, EAP. an employee assistance program, okay. which is available for, uh, was available to staff for counselling. You had like, you know, three to five sessions if you needed to talk to someone about something. And for the 10 years that I worked for that organisation, not once did I call them. And again, I can't tell you why, you know, that stigma around I need to see a counsellor mm -hmm. um, was mm -hmm. kind of there as well in the background. But I went and I got educated and I found out that I was in an unhealthy relationship, that it wasn't okay and I could get out. Mm. And um, that literally was the catalyst for me getting on a plane and coming here to Queensland. Wow. And starting my life new. Fresh. Uh, straight back into retail, ran a bunning store and uh, met a man on the dance floor at the Irish pub. Yeah, uh, <laughs> As you do. And uh, his name's Scott Lackman. And uh, we've been together for 11 years, married for four. And he has shown me what beautiful men we do mm. have out there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what a respectful, loveful, loving, trustful relationship looks like. And um, he supported me to follow my passion. And uh, I left Bunnings and uh, went straight into the domestic violence sector with no background, no education, and uh, ran Chisholm Women's Refuge for five years. Mm. Um, I was fortunate to be asked to be the president of the Combined Women's Refuge Group of Queensland and came across Australia's CEO Challenge. And I said to myself, I can now have an opportunity to go into workplaces and support more Tims to help more people like me. Mm. So when you look about, you know, where do you want to be and what's your passion and where do you think you're going to end up? I didn't think I'd end up here, but I am in my forever job Yeah, where I get to go into workplaces and um, hopefully have an impact on changing people's lives and views and judgments around this issue. So that's me. Holy shit. All right. We have so, 
I've been, I mean, you and I were chatting for ages before we started and I was like, oh my God, we need to be recording this shit because there's just so, there really is so much to touch on and so much involved. Like this is a huge issue and a huge topic and there's so many different, I guess, facet, like parts of the issue. Um, let's talk about your story and your relationship, your ex relationship. You actually have two. Okay. So I actually straight out of school, 16 year old, no idea of what a relationship should look like. Yeah. Um, I was adopted uh, into an English family. I'm, I'm Maori. Mm. Um, I struggled around those teenage years around my identity and where I fitted. Mm. Um, I met this um, Maori man and um, started a relationship and found myself deeply entrenched in a physical, um, oh. violent, psychological relationship of domestic violence. And um, I want to, as a mother, touch on um, how hard it was to leave that relationship as soon as I found out I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So it was my turning point that actually I don't want my child to grow up in a home like this. And um, you know, there were all those social norms around I should stay, you know, so that um, the dad can have access to the child. And, you know, all of those things ran through my head. But at the core of my gut, it said, get out mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, get away from this. Can I tell you, it took me over two and a half years with domestic violence orders, um, uh, huge support from my family. Um, I was stalked. So even when you do decide to leave and get out. It's not over. It's not over. No. In fact, it gets worse yeah. because the partner has lost control. Yes. Power mm-hmm. and control is at the core of um, domestic and family violence. So there's all of these different types of behaviours and it may not include physical. Mm. So it could be financial, psychological. Um, and, and those in itself can be more damaging than the physical. But when we're talking about someone who has then lost power and control of their partner, access to their children, the fear and uh, uh, escalates and the violence escalates. Yeah, because um, they don't know what to, don't know what to do. They just absolutely. So, what? A, yeah. Do you mind if we touch on um, what some of those traits are? Some. What are some of the red flags? And because, as you said, like sometimes it's not physical, and I think that's that is a huge thing because I think there are a lot of women who are in DV, DV relationships and don't recognise that they are because they're not getting punched. Correct. You know, and I'll give you an example. Um, I think maybe eighteen months ago, the Queensland government put out some um, adverts on TV. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there were two particular ones, mm-hmm. and 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 this will give you a bit of an indication. So one of the adverts, the mum comes home from doing the food shopping, and the dad's sitting on the couch, and the child's in the kitchen with the mum, mm. and the mum starts unpacking the shopping, and the dad said, "What did you buy?" And the mum said, "Oh, I thought I'd get a treat and buy some ice cream. Did I say you could buy ice cream? Why did you buy ice cream?" And then it escalates. Mm. So when we talk about power and control and we're talking about down to what you buy, what you eat, where you go. Um, So some of the women um, who came through refuge experienced um, things like being timed. 
So they were timed, for example, you've got 45 minutes to go to the shops and get the food shopping and get home. Mm -hmm. So uh, control to the degree of where you are. So um, uh, abusive text messages, ongoing text messages, um, stalking on social media, so access to and controlling money. Um, so, you know, we have apps now with technology. Uh, for example, the Combank or some of these banks can sing you a ping, you know, and let you know how you're tracking on your credit cards. Mm -hmm. Well, when you've got joint accounts, um, we are using those facilities in an abusive way. Mm. So the person using violence or the perpetrator is tracking and controlling finances. So even if I'm thinking about leaving a relationship, how do I get out when I've got no money? Yeah. Where do I even go? Because I myself hadn't even heard of women's refuges. No. I didn't yeah. know what they were like. Um, I had where a, they were. Where they were. How do I access one? Yeah. How do I find some a safe location for me and my children? Um, and the barriers to leaving are huge, let alone the underlying fear that the threats have given. So if we look at some verbal behaviours. Mm. So the person is going to put me down. They're going to tell me I'm no good, that I'm useless. No one's going else is going to want me. Yes. Um, yeah. This is your fault. If you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have behaved like this. Mm, mm -hmm. If you hadn't said that or done that, then I wouldn't have hit you or I wouldn't have yelled at you or I wouldn't have treated you like this. This is your fault. Mm -hmm. So when you're constantly berated, you start to lose your self-esteem and your confidence and you start to believe that, that person, what that person is telling you is true. Mm. So when you're battling fear, self-doubt, you have no money, just, just those small things, and you know it's not right and you want to leave, how do you do that? Yeah. So some yeah. of the common questions in our community is, why don't you just leave? Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Don't just leave because I'm in fear, because I've been threatened daily that if I do leave... This person's going to harm my family, my mum, my friends. They're going to find me. They're going to threaten to kill me and my children. Oh, so I stay. Fucked. So I stay. Yeah. And I think sometimes that staying is easier than going. Mm. Because, and, and can I tell you the statistics on someone leaving and going back will be up to seven times. Wow. So I will try and I'll go. But I'll be pulled back in with, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I'm, I promise I'm going to change. I don't want to treat you like that. I'll get help. So I come back and I try to keep my family together and I try to make it work and it happens again. And it's going to continue to happen and it's part of a cycle called the cycle of violence. Yes, I was, I'd heard, love to, yeah, I that? have. I would love to touch on that. Yeah, so the cycle of violence starts up in... Um, there's kind of this, and it doesn't necessarily go in a circle, and I really want to make that clear. It can, okay. it can go in different ways, but we use a circle to kind of highlight that, you know, it, it starts up here with tension building in a relationship. And if you think that all relationships at some stage have some tension building, right? And when you yeah. unpack what kind of stresses are happening in a relationship, you know, we've got financial stress. We've got parenting stress with a newborn. We've got mm. workplace stress. You know, there, there's tension building in normal relationships, right? Yeah. But in ones of domestic and family violence, the tension builds to a point where then abuse occurs. And, and the abuse 
like we've said over again, may not be physical. It may be a verbal barrage of abuse. And then what happens is there's a calming period or a period of remorse. Mm. And there's one of two ways that the remorse can happen. Number one, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. I don't, I, I won't do it again. I'll get help. Mm -hmm. Number two is I'm not going to take responsibility for my actions of abusing you. And I'm going to shift the blame onto you. Mm. So it's your fault. If you hadn't said that, done that, acted like that, then I wouldn't have abused you. So it's your fault. So as the abuser, I'm not going to take responsibility for my actions. It's your fault. And then what happens is, and they call it the honeymoon period or a period where I need you to stay in this relationship and I need to maintain power and control. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep you in the relationship. I'm going to buy you gifts. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to say, how about you go out with your friends and I'll have the kids. And I'm going to really make you think that I'm changing my behavior and that things are going to get better and you, and, and you believe me. The cycle starts again. The tension starts to build. And unless we're addressing what is causing the tension, mm. right? So if we, if we look at those reasons or excuses. So let's say in a relationship we have financial stress. What we have is choices on how we manage those mm. stresses in our lives. Mm -hmm. So coping strategies, um, support and family. So, for example, some of the key drivers of ten those tensions in the relationships, you know, could be financial. So I've spent too much on the credit card. Mm. Yeah, we've got, we're in a financial predicament. I have a choice to maybe contact a budgeting service, um, talk to my bank and say, can I have a payment plan? Um, we're in some financial stress. Mm. But abusing the person I love because there's financial stress is not an excuse. Yeah. And what happens sometimes is when we're looking at stress and tension is we then, to cope with that, we, we may self-medicate. So we then we take some alcohol or we take some drugs or we do some gambling. It's not the alcohol, drugs and gambling that is causing domestic and family violence. It's the underlying stress and our choices around our behaviours to deal with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, people don't know how to express. They don't know how to manage. They don't know how to... No, and, and when we look at our societal norms yeah. around what does it mean to be a man. Mm, mm -hmm. yeah, so when we, when we try to understand from that perspective around... Um, um, it's a weakness to show emotion and cry. Mm -hmm. It's a weakness to ask for help and say, I'm not coping. But how are our men supposed to cope like that? Yeah. How, how yeah. are our men supposed to be able to cope when they've got lots of stress and they've got no outlets and it's it's not socially normal to talk to someone and, and get help? So we've got to really focus on the opportunity we have here to change our social norms. Oh, definitely. And to break down toxic masculinity. Yep, that and, was what And I was what say. does it mean? And can I tell you, there's some really great work happening. There's mm. some really great work happening in the community that you probably don't know about. Um, we've got some incredible men's groups that are really focused. Uh, there's an organization called Livin, mm. which is focused on men's mental health. And, um, you know, really trying to do some work. Um, there's an organization called Mates in Construction. 
So the highest rate of male suicide is in our construction industry. Yeah. And we're at that point where when men don't seem to have an outlet and that seems to be their option and that's not okay. So they're doing some incredible work around saying, hey, here's a framework that you could use in the workplace. And they have um, what they call connectors. So on their, uh, you know, their... Um, hard hats on the construction site you'll see these mate stickers but also a connector and i'm a connector and i'm someone you can uh, talk to yep yep so there's some really good stuff that's happening around opening up some pathways and conversations uh, for our men to get some help mm. and you know i know my husband wouldn't mind me kind of giving an example so yeah, yeah. you know my my husband has suffered in silence for a very long time because for him it's been shameful um to be able to say that he suffers from t depression and anxiety mm. and he suffered in silence mm. um, and he made a choice to go and see a doctor and to get some support and he now takes a pill a day which has completely changed the way that he looks and views the world and copes with his, and manages his stress. So it's choices, mm -hmm. it's choosing the behaviour that is appropriate, we should be choosing, respecting our wives our mothers you know our relationships should be based on respect we were actually on in the on the way here I was talking to my partner Chris and because I just like get so fired up about subjects and especially when it comes to women and protecting women and all that kind of thing and he's always like on board got my back totally like he's so beautiful um but I was saying to him because I saw this thing getting around Facebook, this man posted this incredible um, story about how he caught up with a mate and he was chatting to his mate about how the night before he'd had a fight with his wife and he told him that um, he'd smashed some plates. He got angry and he smashed some plates, didn't touch her or anything like that. And his mate got angry at him and he said, that is absolutely not on and inappropriate and what that is is violence, domestic violence. And this guy was really taken back. And, like, the guy said it in a polite, in, like, a lovely way of, like, I love you and I want you to re recognise that that is not appropriate sort of way. And, like, you know, at first he was, he felt ashamed and he felt all of these things and he was like no what he's saying that's not correct I'm a good guy I'm a good guy I'm a good guy and I said sorry I would never hurt her I would never touch her and then he kind of just continued to think about what this mate had said to him and recognized how he dealt with situations he recognized that when he was angry and like he basically said that what if that wasn't enough what if the next time it's this and what if the next time it like, you know, because what if it's not enough and eventually it's her and I don't know how to deal with it and I don't know how to deal with my emotions. Smashing a plate isn't okay either, you know? And he said he, because this guy pulled him up, he then went and got help. Yeah. And he is now, he said, he, he saw a psychologist or whoever it was, some sort of therapist that helped him recognise his behaviours, why he acted that way, like where it stemmed from, all of that sort of thing, healed all of that. And now he said he's like a new man and he could never be more grateful for that mate who pulled him up. And I was discussing with Chris this morning and I said, if like, what do you, do you guys even talk? I was telling him the story and he goes, 
my friends would never even tell me about that sort of stuff. They would never say, like, my missus and I had a fight. They would just say, oh, I'm, I'm in the doghouse. And they would never... Elaborate. Elaborate, go on. They'd just be like, oh, okay, whatever, you know. Um, and he said, you know, that's not conversation that we have. Guys don't talk about that kind of stuff. And um, and I said, if, you're, if you heard someone, you know, uh, one of your mates being talking about a woman in a derogative way or said something inappropriate, spoke about their missus in a, you know, not very nice way, would you pull them up? And he said, and he goes, I don't know if I would, to be honest. It's never occurred to me that you would because I've, you like men have grown up their whole lives going, that's just guys. You know, he goes, and he said, I looked back on things that I used to say when I was younger or do when I was younger. And like, it never occurred to me that there was something wrong with that because that was just the societal norm. And as women, we deny that we grew up with guys touching us inappropriately, saying inappropriate things, being in situations that, you know, we look back now and we're like, oh, actually, I think that was rape or, you know, things like that. But we never said anything, never did anything because we just went, that's the norm. It's just guys being guys. But us... Us having that conversation because, like, so many people aren't even having that conversation. No. And Chris goes, I have just recognised that I need to make a change. Or, like, you know, and he's a beautiful, beautiful human and he would never do anything. But just just being, recognising that he needs to speak up yes. and talk to his mates about that sort of thing. And we call it bystander behaviour, right? So, mm. um. And this is what we need. When we look at, you know, situations that have happened um, this week with Hannah and her children, you know, how did we get here? And we feel helpless, but we also question what can we do? And we Mm. all have a role to play. Yeah. We all have a role to play. And, you know, um, I do a bit of leadership training and there's this video um, that I got off YouTube and it has this um, person in this field and there's all of these people and this one person stands up and starts dancing kind of crazy. And then the second person, there's your leader, and then the second person comes up who is the most powerful person and starts dancing beside them and making a fool of themselves. And before you know it, by the end of the video, the whole field of people are up dancing right yeah and we need these leaders yeah we need these people that will step outside of their comfort zones and pass their fear to say that is not okay Mm -hmm. and maybe get ostracized from their friends or mates or but in their I suppose being of self they can be proud that they're actually doing the right thing yeah and I think we have to do more of the right thing I think we get scared, which is fair enough, Mm -hmm. around stepping in and saying the right thing. And I suppose my message would be get educated on how to be an active bystander. Mm. Understand that you can do that indirectly and directly. Actually, And be safe around doing that. No, that's okay. Here's a question because when um, Chris and I were discussing it, because he, in a workplace that he used to work in, he... Like he works in his builder, so he works, you know, with a lot of interesting men. Um, and he was his bosses used to always talk really disgustingly about their wives and other women and stuff. And Chris used to sit there in his mind just thinking he'd come home and he'd go, Oh, it was disgusting how these guys spoke about. And I said to him like when I asked him today, like, would you say something? 
And he said, well, in that situation, if I said something, I would have lost my job. And I said, welcome to the life of a woman. Welcome to our fucking life. And, but isn't it so interesting? Like, like how do you deal with that situation where you're concerned about losing your job? Exactly. But unless we start to do this, you know, but then it'd be discrimination. I lost my job because I called my manager out on his behaviour. Mm, okay, yeah. 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 So when you put it like that yeah. and we look at the legislation and the laws that guide us and our policies and procedures and we talk about, you know, in our workplaces having a code of conduct. Yeah. Yeah. And we have these policies for a reason, mm. but we don't use them. Yes, so true. And there's true. an opportunity to actually use the framework of organisations for what they're intended for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talk about the Me Too movement and that we now have, you know, bullying in the workplace policies, sexual harassment policies, discrimination policies, that's because we've learnt some lessons and we've got to change. But the change is in the action of the leaders. Right is in the action of the people on the ground. It's the action is with us Mm -hmm. and it is uncomfortable. We have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations that we need to have with people and call it out. I'll give you an example. Um, Probably about, I don't know, nine or ten years ago uh, when I met my husband and and a new group of friends and um, uh, they would come over and play pool and our house was a bit of a, an entertainment party place. I love to socialise yeah. and, you know, have gatherings. And the boys would come over and, and in the first few times um, they started to use the C word. Yeah. And I called it out and I said, if you're going to use that word in my home, you can leave. Mm. And then it became people, were, other people would come over And someone would use it and it would go dead silent. And the boys would go, you can't use that word here. Mm. And it became a bit of a, not a joke, but a standard that was set out of a kind of joke where I was extremely serious saying, I do not like that word. I will not have it spoken in front of me. And if you're going to come to my home, you cannot say it. Yeah. And everybody knew and everyone abided by it. And anyone knew that came in and said it, we're told very quickly that that Jackie doesn't accept that that's not okay. And I realized that had I stayed silent and just sat in my own discomfort, that change wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And so it motivated me to practice more. And do you think it educated them as well? Because do you think, I think that's a lot of the issue is we're afraid to say something or we're afraid to stand up and go, no, what you just said was inappropriate because we're afraid of how they'll react or whether they'll think we're a loser or whatever it is. You know, it's ridiculous. But are we also enabling them and not giving them the opportunity to learn that that's not appropriate anymore? Absolutely. Because they don't, a lot of the time, like we need to, I guess, there are a lot of good guys out there who, just like Chris, have grown up in a world where it's been okay to use certain words speak about women in a particular way, all that sort of thing, because it's just boys being boys. They don't know that shit's changing. changing. They don't know that that's actually not appropriate and we don't fucking like it yep. and you cannot speak that way because no one's pulled them up on it. No. No and one's I'd, said anything. It's really challenging to know where it comes from. So I've got two grandsons. 
Mm. Yeah, right. And I'm going to give you a little example. That, like Jackie doesn't look old enough to have grandchildren, oh, by you. the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I was. I had my grandsons. We have them every Friday, right? So yeah. that's our thing is um, mum and dad have date night. We ensure that they have quality time together and I have the grandsons every Friday. Beautiful. And um, we're in the car going through the drive through of uh, McDonald's and we ordered two, you know, Happy Meals. And I didn't specifically ask for a boy or a girl toy. Mm. So we get to the window and I get them, you know, pass it over. And this toy comes flying over the back to the front of the car. And I went, what is going on, Charlie Full Brown? And he said, that's a girl toy. Oh, and I went, hate that. And I went, your mummy's a girl. And there mm. was silence in the back of the car. He said, Nan, c- could I have that toy back, please? And I went, you want the girl toy back? And he said, I, I think my cousin Layla would really like it. Oh. And, but where did that come from? Yes. You know, Charlie was five. And we, we've got, we have open conversations. We, we talk about, you know, but where did that, we didn't teach Charlie that. Matt, where did the girl boy come from? Where did the colours, I won't, I won't eat from a pink plate. It's ridiculous. Where did that come from? It's that, I, Maddie, my daughter's three years old and she started saying a similar thing a little and in my household there ain't no thing like there there is no such thing as boy and girl anything my boy wears his sister's clothes he wears feminist shirts we because there's just no such thing in my household because I think it's disgusting and she comes home one day and she says Molly can't play with that that's a girl toy and I went oh What do you mean? And I'm thinking, where did this even come from? Exactly the same thing. And we've got to change that. So yeah. we have some really great conversations with Charlie, who's who'll be seven uh, in a couple of weeks, and they're the next generation. Yeah. Yes. And you know, my daughter and her husband are you know they're solid and um, they communicate really well and mm. they're very loving and they got all of those basis things. But you know, we've still it's the generational um, norms are still haven't been mm. quite broken where we're um, really moving towards having what does it mean to be a boy or a man have got to start to happen now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's ex- that change. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, yes, yeah, so, so, so important yeah. because that's exactly right. We've, we have just gotten so used to, like I look at even my generation, you know, our generation growing up and we never questioned shit nope. because we never rec- re- realised that there was anything wrong no. because we were just so used to it. And like, I mean, we thought we were lucky because we can show our fucking ankles these days and vote and stuff because women before us decided to stand up and say something. So we're like, oh my God, we're so lucky. We can go to work and we can do all these incredible things. How blessed are we? And then it's... These Still conversations, got a long way yeah, to go. so far to go. Yeah, and I get someone said to me one day, "You're not a normal CEO." <laughs> this is my staff. You're yeah. not a normal CEO, and I went, "Well, no, because mainly CEOs are men." Yeah, number one, <laughs> but but number two is the way that um, I suppose I work with my team and I lead is is more around. Um, transformational leadership, you know, around trust, around, Mm. you know, a workplace culture that um, empowers 
um, my team to be who they are, but I've grown up in a workforce that has had directive leadership, you know, micromanagement, this is how you are, you know, these are the barriers and I'm the boss and I, you know, very, and I... I look forward to being a new look CEO. You know, I, I want that and I, I want to be able to um, have other women and more women mm-hmm. in prominent roles or at least have an equal share at the table. Yeah. You yes. know, that, 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 that we both sexes have such great stuff to offer. Yes. We could work together. Absolutely. Well, I've, we've had, um, I had someone on one time. This is maybe like the th- fourth podcast that I ever did and we spoke about um a lot about toxic masculinity and the the rise of the feminine and how it's not about so much men and women but more masculine and feminine because the the lack of I mean I guess that crush of the feminine is very prominent in men as well you know which is a lot of the issue because they haven't been able to uh, the the, as soon as they do anything remotely feminine they get called gay pussy all that sort of disgusting shit so I feel sorry for a lot of men because they don't know how to act they don't know how to be they've been having they've had to pretend their whole life as well and they're no wonder they're fucking angry and frustrated and they don't know what to do, you know? We need to have more conversations. We need to find pathways and ways um, uh, to change. Yeah. We've got to make a change and we've got to be the change. So we need to be the ones individually taking responsibility to stand up and do something Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to nothing. So a bystander... Um, is someone who stands by and is watching stuff happen, happen, Mm -hmm. can see it and feel it and know it. An active bystander does something about it. So says it, Mm. walks out. You know, when I talked about direct and indirect bystander behaviour, I remember a conversation uh, with a football player um, who was in the locker rooms and sexist um, conversations were going on and he slammed the locker and just walked away. Mm. And that said more than actually calling it out. So there are ways to actually turn around and walk away from that conversation. Mm. Or if you're feeling... So there's, there are ways to be able to, um, you know, Make take action and almost. be a bystander yeah. and not put yourself in an unsafe situation. Mm. And I'd... Um, I suppose I'd, I would highlight our watch uh, as a website to have a look and get okay. some tools and resources around, you know, what are the things I can say and do and be safe at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Actually, let's touch on, um, I mean, we've got so much that I would love to talk about. So what we, we were talking, we were discussing, we discussed the cycle of violence. Let's talk about how, if you recognise someone that you think is in a DV situation or in a relationship. Yes. What do you, how can you talk to that person? How can you help basically? What can you do? Yeah. So friend, family member, 
um, two two viewpoints. Number one is you're noticing some signs and symptoms that they're not okay. Mm. They're not allowed to come out on social outings anymore. They seem to be having to answer text messages all the time. You know, in your gut, you know something's not right. Oh, yeah. So yeah. one of the basic things that you can do is are you okay? And mm. I know that seems minimal, but if you're coming from an authentic heart and you're looking at that person, you're saying, hey, are you okay? I'm just a bit worried about you. No, no, I'm fine. And I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to minimize and I'm going to deny and I'm not going to want to tell you because it's shameful. That's the thing. Do you often find, because, I mean, I've been in a situation, in a relationship like that and I know so much, I think just about every woman has at least been in some sort of relationship similar, if not like extreme, but, you know, has yeah been in something similar to that. And I, I think a lot of the time it's almost, it's, it's embarrassing. And do you find that they often will talk up the partner, like almost yes. trying to like, oh, like look at all these wonderful things he does. Cause they know, they know everyone thinks he's a fuckwit. To be honest, I'm going to minimise yeah. the behaviour. I'm going to condone it in some way. I'm yeah. going to stick up for that person. Yeah, and then, you know, when it all comes out, that that's that contributes to the shame and embarrassment. Yeah, because I've covered yeah. for that person, and no one, the the key underlying thing here is no one's going to believe me mm. because I've covered for that person for so long. Yeah, um, I've exhausted all my friendships and my family connections. Mm sticking up for that person. Mm. And um, so, look, if you see some signs and symptoms, it's that, are you okay? Mm. If at any stage you're not okay, you can call me. Mm. Yeah. So it, it is your, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink the water. Yeah. But what you can do is provide pathways and options. If you ever need me, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Did you know that there's a hotline you can call? Mm. If you're not feeling safe and okay. So 1-800-RESPECT or TV Connect. These are really basic things. Um, if I disclose to you as a friend, what is your role in that? Number one, listen. Mm. I don't want your advice and I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want you to listen and believe me mm. and refer me to somewhere where I can get some help. Mm-hmm. So the the space that we find ourselves in as a friend or a family member is that we feel that we have to save that person. Yes. And we feel that because they've confided in us, we have a responsibility to fix it. Mm-hmm. And so we have to um, try and get away from that fix-it mentality and look at the supportive mentality by linking them into people who know what they're doing, professionals. Mm. Yeah. Don't think you have to have the answer. Don't think I'm telling you because I'm wanting you to tell me what to do. I need a listening ear and someone who believes me that I'm actually going through this situation. Mm. So are you okay? If you need any help, here's a number. So I encourage everyone to um, Google research the numbers. I'll tell you right now here in, in Queensland, our domestic violence hotline is DB Connect. 1-800-811-811. I'll put all of these in the show notes too. Yeah. Um, if you just want to call someone because you suspect a friend or family member and you don't know what to say mm. or you're not sure how to tackle it, 
call 1-800-RESPECT. So 1-800-RESPECT is specialised domestic violence and sexual assault counsellors 24-7. So call and say, I've seen these behaviours, my friend is, is, and I'm concerned about this safety, what can I do? Mm. Right? So this is about being able to do something, not feeling like you have to have all the answers that you've got to fix it, that you've got to save the person. Mm. But if you're having a conversation, just listen. And for someone like me, right, who's a talker, <laughs> right, who wants to save someone, so I have that heart. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to save. I want to wrap my arms around this person. I want to do everything. You have to pull back. Yeah. And you have to sit in patience and silence. And the more that I'm silent, the more the person's going to trust me. Mm. And the more they'll disclose. Because I'm telling you they're only going to tell you this much. And they're going to test the waters and test your response before I tell you any more. Yeah. And this is because I'm trying to protect myself and my, you know, the shame and stigma associated to it and what you're going to think of me and the judgment. Yeah. So be empathetic. So listen, believe, non-judgmental and empathetic. Yeah. That's it. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't, you just know some numbers. What if someone doesn't recognize that they're in an abusive relationship? Say it's like, as we've, as we've sort of spoken about, I guess, um, obviously if you're getting beaten up, you know that you're not in, you know, you're in in an abusive relationship. But for someone who's in a relationship where, and because the thing is, you love them, don't you? And that love is blind. You love this person. They're charming. They charm you. They bring you, you know, all these different little things that you think. And and you even spoke about, you know, they'll say, they'll act in a certain way that, you know, you are fearful of or whatever it is. And then they come back at you with like presents and gifts and make you feel love. And so you are brought straight back into that because you are just holding on to any type of love that they're going to give you. If someone doesn't recognize that they're in a relationship like that, how, but you as a bystander can see the actions that you, you know that it's no good, you know, and because those sorts of relationships, they can escalate, can't they? Yeah. It begins with emotional and because I have, there's a situation very close to my heart at the moment where um, she, my person, they were seeing a DV counsellor and it was very much that relationship. We'd seen it for years. We were going, that's not normal. That's not normal. That's not normal. That's not love. That's not this. And then it just escalated and escalated and escalated. And once she left, it escalated on another level and it was getting scary. She was calling me in tears going, I don't feel safe. I'm terrified. They were staying at our house, all that kind of thing. And um, and the counsellor said to her, it's these sorts of situations that are often sometimes more dangerous because these people just go from never touching you to strangling you and killing you or like driving off a bridge with you and your ch- kids in the car kind of thing. Like, how do you, how do you say to someone, I think you're in an abusive relationship? Yep. 
how do you even say that without because exactly what you spoke about if someone said that to you you feel the shame like all of those and things and also i don't recognize it so i haven't been educated yet right yeah. so um and it's my normal yeah right? yeah yeah and um i love the person but i don't love the behavior mm so i see someone inside that i think i can save yes and that i can fix yeah and you can't. Mm. So I, I was in a relationship um, where I thought I could save this person. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I left and got educated about the type of relationship I was in that I realized that I was never going to be able to fix that person, that that person is choosing their own behaviors and they have to choose to change and make the change themselves. Mm. And that there was nothing I was ever going to be able to do. But no one could have told me that when I was in it. Yeah. So it is challenging. But there are options around saying, you do know that that's actually not normal behavior to have somebody, you know, call you that many times. Mm. You know, like... um, that that wouldn't constitute normal necessarily. Um, there are. It, it's tough when you're in a friendship relationship because you don't want to isolate them more. You want to ensure that you've, the conversations are still open, that they'll still approach you. If that, you know, it, you could use, you know, conversation starters around, I'm here if you ever need somebody. You know, I kind of watch what happens between you and your partner and it. It just doesn't seem okay to me. Mm. Um, if you ever feel unsafe, just know you can talk to me. So it's not about kind of um, preaching or telling them they're in that. Yeah, because yeah. Because they're going to have to figure that out for themselves. Yeah. But maybe having conversations around, you know, my partner wouldn't even think to follow up on that. Mm. Or mm-hmm. that doesn't seem like it's that healthy yeah or, he shouldn't make you feel that way or yeah absolutely you know you don't deserve to be um treated like that how come you you can't come out with us what, mm. you know, what's going on there um it's tough yeah it's tough it's tough for the families who watch it and see it and can't yeah. do anything yeah yeah um so if someone is in a relationship like that they've figured it out yep They've recognised they don't want to be in in it anymore. We're at the stage now where they want to leave, which is, as you said, and we've discussed, is the hardest, trickiest. It's not just... It's the high-risk time. It is. So that person loses control. Yeah. Um, So I would suggest planning. Yeah. Uh, So we've got some great websites, which I'll give you, Mm -hmm. which you can get a checklist even. Yeah. So around how to plan safely to leave mm-hmm. with you and your children. Um, so there are opportunities for you to ensure that you've got copies of identification and, um, you know, that you've got um, a friend who knows a secret password that you might say or a text that you might send to say I'm unsafe. So there's there are ways that you can plan to leave safely. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, some of that uh, you can get through DB Connect, where you can call them up and say, "I'm I'm thinking of leaving my relationship, but I'm really fearful mm. of what will happen when I do. Could you help me?" Yeah, and they will give some safety strategies and planning and information. Yeah, yeah. Um, and say there's children involved because this is the other thing is like often you can leave that relationship. But if, and we touched on this before because 
you were in this situation. When there's kids involved and you're trying to decide how to, like, do my kids still see him? How do you sort that whole just absolute shit show of a situation? Like, how do you find the balance between my kids seeing my father, my kids seeing their father, and or they still want to, like, all of a sudden he's just decided he's super interested in them and is sharing with them with love and buying them lots of presents and doing all that kind of thing. How do you navigate that sort of situation? Yeah. So there's a couple of options there. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly around I would encourage and I'll preach it from the roofs, Mm. get counselling. Yeah, yeah. Learn strategies to understand that this person is controlling, manipulative, Mm -hmm. and will do these behaviours to get what they want. Yeah. Right? And we do as mums, natural instinct are protectors. Yeah. We are protectors of our children and we don't want to see them hurt. And how do you navigate your mindset? Yeah. Of your mum guilt. Mm. That if I don't let my partner see the children, then I'm going to be labelled a bad mother. Mm-hmm. My kids are going to hate me because they can't see dad. My kids are too young to understand what is going on. And I would say to you, um, you are the parent, you are the adult. Mm. And first and foremost in protecting your children, knowingly sending them to a person that you know could harm them is not is a no-go zone. Yeah. And yes. that is hard to navigate the heart, the mind, society, the family, and the person themselves. You're holding me back from seeing my children. You're using the children as a weapon. You know, you're going to get all of this narrative. Yeah. And to keep your mindset focused that you are actually protecting your children and yourself, get counselling. Yeah. Learn about the strategies. um, Utilise the court systems to get protection orders and say, I am happy for you to see your children. I want you to have a relationship with your children. I do not feel safe that you have them alone. I, I am going to go through the system to ensure that we have supervised visits or do whatever I can. Mm-hmm. This isn't about me holding the children back from you having access. This is about my children are unsafe and I am going to protect them at all costs. Mm. So it's about navigating the mind, society, what is the right thing. And to be able to support you to do that, you need professional help. Yeah. You need to be able to talk to someone that can, um, you know, give you the, the relevant information and and confidence to know that you're doing the right things. It doesn't matter if anyone else doesn't understand or doesn't see it. I know that I cannot give my children or hand them over to someone who could potentially harm them. And because that's the hard thing too, isn't it? Because that person can because they're so manipulative they're so good with their words they know exactly what to say you start second guessing yourself am I the bad person am I the re am I doing this and because you know I've seen it before and they like can get inside your Your head head. it's exactly like as you were saying with counseling they're I guess reiterating that no that he is making you think 
this. He is manipulating you with this. He's manipulating the children. It's the red to... flags, right? Count the flags. Okay. And there's a checklist you can get that says, does your partner do this? Yes. Yeah. Does your partner do that? Does it? And you can actually then very quickly um, see like, oh my gosh. I mean, there it is in black and white. Can anyone right? access that? Yeah, absolutely. Checklist. Yeah, on... absolutely. We'll get that for you. Yeah, and get you a link to that. Do you have some examples of some of the things that might be on that checklist? Yes. Does Does your partner check your phone messages? Mm. Does your partner control the finances? Do, so, a lot of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does your partner put you down? Mm. So it starts to it, it builds a picture for you. Mm. But there is absolutely no way I'm going to let my children have access to their partner, uh, to my partner, if my partner has threatened to kill me. Oh, yeah. At any stage. Threatened to harm my children, my family members. Um, whether they've said sorry and bought me gifts or anything, you, that's serious stuff. Any yeah. threats. Threats is one of the biggest verbal behaviours. Yeah, I'm going to threaten to harm myself. If you, if you yes. don't give me the children, I'm going to harm myself. So then yeah. I'm like, well, I have to give them because what if that person then takes their own life and then I've got mm-hmm. to manage that guilt and I've got to, yes. I'm glad you brought that up. Seek counselling to, yeah. to understand that that is a threat Oh, and that it's mm-hmm. playing mind games with you and how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're not threatening to kill you. So you've, like your first thought is, I need to, they're mentally unwell. I need to look after, I don't want them to. I don't want to set them off. Yeah. I, I don't want to be the cause of that. Um, I don't want to think that I was the one and that, that made that happen. Mm-hmm. But it's all mind games. Yeah. Some do though. Can I tell you, there's a high percentage. Yeah. They do take their own lives. Um, and that, that's, that's what's happening. In yeah. some cases, um, yeah. It's so hard to navigate, it, isn't it? The whole lot's hard to navigate, um, but it's possible. And there's light at mm. the end of the tunnel. Like there are so many incredible survivors out there. Yeah. And so many of us uh, that are passionate about supporting those who are in these situations and um, really providing um, education and awareness around where the pathways of support are, where they can get help. And a lot of this wasn't around in my time. No. Um, you know, a decade ago, the police wouldn't even turn an, uh, an eye. No. You know, like I know our Queensland police have got a, a bit of a, a raw deal this week, but I can tell you that they they wouldn't even, they would turn a blind eye, like that's a domestic, we're not dealing with that. You know, now we've got, you know, a vulnerable persons unit. We've got dedicated um, high-risk teams associated to supporting people going through the high-risk DV situations. Uh, We have police being educated on what domestic and family violence, and what blows me away is we have assumptions as a society. So I assumed that police got DV training. Mm. Oh, I would have. they didn't. The other assumption, and and this is one in our health system, so I went to my doctor, I went to the hospital to see a specialist, and we were just in there having a chat, and he said to me, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I support workplaces to address um, those affected by domestic and family violence. And he goes, oh, what do you do? And I said, pardon? He goes, oh, I have patients in here all the time. And what do do I say? And I was absolutely gobsmacked. I had an assumption that GPs 
we're trained in domestic and family violence and they're not. It's not part of the curriculum. It's something that they can add on to, you know, when you do, you know, um, personal development or, you know, you increase mm. your learning to you do know, like a little course or, whatever, or something. Yeah. Um, they can do that as an option, but it's not a standard. Um, and, and so when things like this start to come to light, I'm like, oh my gosh. So our professionals in a, in a health system that I would assume a GP or someone would know, don't know and haven't been trained. Because it's been behind closed doors for so long. Oh, it's only just like it's on the surface. Things like what happened to Hannah and her kids that really, I mean, you would see it, I guess. And like I spoke to another DV counselor about this how something this on this sort of spectrum, you know, where it's so, it's in newspapers, so public, it's almost like a wake up call for a lot of women, and they just get hammered yeah. with. But it it's, the change is too slow. Mm. So yesterday I attended the Red Rose Rally, um, which is um, in memory of those lives that were lost um, in the last few weeks outside Parliament um, yesterday. Mm. And uh, a very, very public uh, loss of life four years ago was Tara Brown. Yeah. Who was run down by a car. And her mum was there and spoke. Oh. And she said, here we are, four years later, and we are still in not come any much further. And another life has been lost. Like, we, we, we must uproar. Like, this is terrorism in our homes. Yeah. This is in a place that should be safe. That you should be safe in, we we it, it's incomprehensible. Well, you were saying it's a silent that, epidemic. Like yeah. this is this is an epidemic. Do you know how much we spend on terrorism? Do you know how much money is spent on terrorism? And, and we've, we've got, got terrorism it. in our own homes in our own backyards, and these are preventable deaths. Yes. These are present, preventable deaths that we could be doing something about. We've got to invest and we've got to do more. Well, you were telling me just but like before we started recording some of the statistics, you said yeah. one a week. And because this is the other thing and like fair enough, there are, it's not just women. There are, I mean, like there are, I mean, it's not just men, I guess, that are the abusers. Um, there are women out there as well. But because, you know, every man and their dog starts to come at you with that, like. They absolutely do. But the statistics are. The statistics are one in three women will experience some form of violence in their lifetime in Australia. Currently in Australia, one woman a week is dying at the hands of a man. Um, We acknowledge that men experience domestic and family violence, but not at the rate that our women are, mm. whereby we have lost another death last night, nine lives this year across Australia, nine women have lost their lives to someone who said they loved them in their homes. And I don't think we're even into the ninth week of the year, are we? No, and if you look at the the economic cost of this issue across Australia, twenty two billion. Yeah, yeah, twenty two billion. One in three women. It, 
we've got to do something about this. And I, I remember talking to a workplace saying, if you had a death a week in your workplace, you would be shutting tools, tools would be down, shutting shop, investigating why, and ensuring that it doesn't happen again. Mm. When we talk about health and safety and well-being, this is right in our faces. This is an epidemic in our communities. And I think the assumptions that it's not prevalent across all socioeconomic groups has to be shut down pretty quick. Mm, mm -hmm. It is happening across the country in all suburbs. This issue does not have a postcode. No, it doesn't discriminate, does it? It does not discriminate in any way, shape or form. We've got really particular particular vulnerable groups and I really want to you know highlight our, our vulnerable mm-hmm. groups in our communities our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, peoples 35 more times likely <gasps> to present at a hospital with injuries related to DV we've got our LGB, L- LGBTIQ+. I'm sorry yeah, if yeah. I've and no offense if I've got that wrong yeah definitely you know are underrepresented. Yeah, yeah. We have our culturally and linguistically diverse communities where English is a second or third language. Um, they are threatened with immigration. Um, they don't have access to supports. Um, and the one that that hurts the most is those with disabilities. Oh. Who and where the carer is committing domestic and family violence against that person with disability. So controlling the money, controlling whether they take them on outings, verbally abusing them. And they can't get away. So when oh we talk God. about not just a couple, mm. we're talking across spectrums, across socioeconomic groups. It is prevalent and it is happening in homes across Australia and we've got to do something. Yeah, it kills me. <laughs> just um, so oh. it's just when you start to open up. Have you heard of elder abuse? No. Oh, yes. Yes. It's domestic and family violence. So we are controlling the money, the finances. We are verbally abusing. You know, we have children committing domestic and family violence against their parents. This is not isolated to a husband and wife couple. Mm. When you look at what constitutes domestic and family violence, the behaviours, which are physical, verbal and controlling, it is happening across the board. Any relationship. When you look at the Domestic and Family Violence uh, Prevention Act here in Queensland, the legislation states um, that it includes uh, families, extended families, kinship, husband, wife, de facto, same sex, disabilities, carers, it's very clear that this issue is broader than just a couple having a domestic behind closed doors. Oh my God, that didn't, it didn't even fucking cross my mind. Like, isn't that so crazy? Yeah. This issue is so huge. As you were saying before, like if there was a death a week at a, at a workplace or if, people were dying from the flu every week there'd be a fucking vaccine out three weeks ago you know but nothing like what's 
what do you think? Oh God. <laughs> I'm going to rack you up. <laughs> no, look. And this is you, good, but this no, is no, what no, has to happen. Good. It does yes. have to happen, and I can't scream it from the rooftops. You know, we, we have got people suffering mm. in silence. Yes. And we have people from privileged backgrounds that don't get it, that make unethical comments and assumptions and judgments. Mm-hmm. And the only way that we're going to reduce that judgment is to educate. Yep. And to have conversations mm-hmm. and to make it very clear that this is happening across homes in Australia every day, every minute. I think it's something like our police on average attend a domestic and family violence incident. I think it's up to every two to five minutes. Fuck. In Australia. Do you have any... most of their time at these incidences. Um, this podcast, there's listeners all over the world. Do you have any global statistics or just specifically, I guess, same, same, pretty much old. So like like 2010, the World Health Organization, um, you know, did a survey around statistics. But if you were to go into different countries, the statistics are similar. Yeah. Um, pretty much the same. Um, our women are dying. Our women and children are dying. That's just um, the yeah. bottom line of it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we can't keep having these public deaths and incidences and do nothing about it. Mm. You know, Rosie Batty was, you know, Australian of the Year because of a horrific incident where she lost her son publicly. And we still continue to have this happen. And we still continue not to invest. You know, our, 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 we need change. Yeah. We need change. And we need the money to make the change. So where do we get the money from? How do we, who, who should we be? It's yeah. a collective, right? It's a community issue and we need a community solution. Yeah. Government aren't going to be able to do it all right. Mm-hmm. We, we all play a role and we all play a part. Yeah. And, um. It's about getting involved yes, and not turning a blind eye, not having the blinkers on, not thinking, well, it's not happening to me and it's not happening in my community, mm. um, um, so I, I don't need to do anything about it. Um, you don't know is because we don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, you know? definitely. Just even raising the awareness and standing up. That's it. I feel like there's so many people and I mean, I guess I was one of them for so long who we've just been feel like if I say nothing, I won't disturb anything. We're so worried and we're so concerned about disturbing the peace or, or being opinionated or oh, just causing a scene or anything like that, that we say fucking nothing and we just get by in life just pretending to be whoever we need, the society needs us to be, which is just a fucking robot that we don't speak up. And because the thing is, when you speak up, you are going to piss people off a lot of the time, but fucking good. You need, we need, that's a trigger. People need to be triggered and because they need to wake the fuck up and recognize that could be them. Their behavior might be the problem. And that's such a trigger and people don't like that. And it is so societal, moms. I remember going into a workplace, you know, if I, I think of, you know, the legal profession, Oh, that doesn't happen here. Mm. 
no, no, it's happening. They mm. just don't feel safe enough to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Out of so, fear of losing their job or, correct. yeah. And look, can I say, I, I do want to acknowledge that we have, we have come away. Yeah. I do want to acknowledge the Queensland government in particular, mm-hmm. because out of all the states other than Victoria, we are leading the way. That's fantastic. Um, you know, the Queensland government appointed Quentin Bryce um, and a task force to understand the issue and what was going on in Queensland. Mm-hmm. It came back with 140 recommendations. And last year, they addressed all 140. Wow. They invested over three and a half million plus legislative change, more refuges, um, you know, more awareness, working with corporates and businesses. Um, and that was bipartisan. And that's how it has, like, for the last, like, three and a half years, and it will continue, they're making a stand. So they're now into their third action plan, mm-hmm. which is around prevention. Wow, yeah. It's around how we can break that. So we, uh, the, the first kind of three years was around responding. And... We, we do uh, are critical of our governments, mm. but in relation to this issue, having been a part of it and watched it and seen it, they are taking action, they are investing. Awesome. And we are leading. We were the first state to mandate um, legislative changes uh, for strangulation mm. um, offences and, you know, the, a lot more. So a lot has happened here, and I do want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, because that isn't happening in all states. And that's it, so it can be fucking done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And more does need to be done, and yeah. they're not stopping. Mm. They've now got, so Kay McGrath was headed, headed the uh, Domestic and Family Violence um, Prevention Council. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now co-chair for the next third action plan, uh, along with Bob um, Atkinson, who was um, head of police. And um, they are focused on continuing the drive to um, prevent domestic and family violence from happening. You know, our vision as an organisation and mine personally, you know, is a world free from violence. Mm. And my driver, my why, is my grandkids. Is I do not Mm -hmm. want my grandkids growing up in a world that is so violent. Yes. Um, We... we we really got to do something about mm-hmm. about this. But I feel like people, I don't know whether this is segueing a little bit, but um, kids are dis. People are desensitized to violence, and sometimes I feel like an old fuddy-duddy talking <laughs> about this. Yes. But I fucking hate video games. I there's so many things where violence is celebrated. And you are rewarded. And it may not be killing an actual human being. But, oh my gosh, these children, they are not mature enough to know the difference. Like, and if they get angry enough or they, you know, whatever it is, if they're desensitised to, like, that's fun for them. It's fun going around. They get a kick out of killing people. Isn't that wild? Like, that to me is crazy that that is even a A thing. thing. I know. I am pretty proud of my... I am segueing (laughs) to my grandson, (laughs) Charlie, who is seven years old and um, is actually into crystals. (laughs) Amazing. That's like my kid. I love that. (laughs) So, so yes, he's had the video games. Yeah. And you know what? Nah, not, not really that. 
you know, he likes Minecraft and building things and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he, he wants to be, a, you know, a, a crystal miner. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, My nephew's the same, actually. <laughs> sorry, we are segueing from the issue. But that gives me light and hope. Yeah. You know, so that that says to me that, that there are opportunities to provide different pathways of um, what constitutes fun and enjoyment and hobbies and, you know, I do like some of the old school stuff. You know, like I, I reflect, um, you know, on my life and some of the old school things that we used to do and I think, oh, where did that all go? You know, we did respect our teachers in schools. Mm. You know, there was that real element of um, respectful relationships and... Um, you did listen to your parents, mm. you know, like the basic fundamental values of family and relationship. And, and I'm probably more a spiritual person, not a, you know, not a, a churchy, churchy kind of person, yeah. but, but I do res- believe in, you know, love, respect, trust, or other foundations mm-hmm. um, of of relationships and it's just even how people talk it's not even like whether they're an elder they're a teacher they're this they're that they're another human being and you do not talk to another human being disrespectfully like I even I mean like even bringing it back to just the home and because kids don't do as we say they do as we do you can tell them speak kindly say nice things don't talk about another person that way don't judge don't do this but if you are yelling at your partner, if you are going, I told you to do the fucking dishes 10 times and you haven't even fucking touched them, rah, rah, yelling at another, because would you talk to another person like that? Why is it okay to yell at your partner like that, you know? Or um, or what was the other thing? Or like, you know, seeing someone and judging them for making come about the car that they drive or, oh, yeah, bloody what's-her-face just doesn't. Like, you know, I can't believe that she wore this and she looks like this and blah, blah, blah. Kids are sponges. They might be sitting in the back of the car, but you bet your ass they're listening to every single fucking word that you're saying and they're going, ah, oh, so that's how we judge people or that's how we talk to another person. Yep. Yep, you're spot on. I, I mean, <laughs> it's, it starts with it, us. It's modelling. Yes. We, we need to model the behaviour, but, you know, in reality, some of us haven't been brought up that way. That's Yeah, exactly. Yeah? So some of us uh, model what we've known, and to yeah. us that's normal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, how or where do I go to learn to parent better or um, how do I handle my you know, teenager that is just not speaking to me and going off and, you know, and we, there are uh, probably more pathways for parenting support. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Triple P, positive parenting. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, um, so I think more of that, like more avenues for parents to get help to help them do better. Yeah. Um, because... I wasn't really taught how to, I wasn't taught that stuff. Oh, God, I no, just, none of us really no, are, are we? We just like no handed handbook. a baby. Why is there no handbook for me? <laughs> oh. I don't know. How do you give a handbook for every single oh. fucking kid? It's so different, hey? It's so hard. <laughs> but yeah, it is. And look, we're going to make mistakes. I think, yes. I think we're not perfect. I think I, I'm certainly not perfect. And I, I certainly have made mistakes and have learned and grown, and, and that's life, and, and that's what you do. But, you know, 
being able to have um, friends or family or, or someone and knowing that I can ask for help mm-hmm. and not be ashamed. Yes. You know, and the pressure that we put on ourselves and, yes, I agree with you, societal, um, you know, things like, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, you know, all the cool things that they have now. Perfect life. The, perfect life. Yeah. Also have major drawbacks. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, on reality. Yes. Um, and it's a challenging navigating world that we're living in. Um, mm. And, yeah, to have to hashtag be kind and, you know, bullying still happening after all of the, after all of the, you know, talking that we do about that and the education and everything that we do, that, that poor young boy, Quaden this week, oh. you know, that a mum got to a point where she had to put it up on Facebook to, to, to get help. She's, yeah. she's, she's looking for help. Like, yeah. How do I cope with my child coming home? Saying he wants to kill himself. Bullied, um, it, is heartbreaking. Really heartbreaking. I bore my eyes out watching that video. Yeah. And we just, yeah. Well, we're not going to change the world in a podcast, but we're going to give it a good go. <laughs> if we yeah. do enough podcasts, if enough people start saying enough things, that's it. And like... Uh, Even touching on social media, I think we're given a tool that can potentially be incredible. And we've done podcasts on this before, actually, like how to use social media in the best way. Like, because the thing is, I think for so long, for so many generations, there's been so much, I want to say fakeness in a way, because we've just had to have the perfect life, make sure we've got a smile on our face. If there's anything going on, we don't discuss it. We don't talk about it. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. We don't discuss, uh, we don't cry in front of our children. We don't let them know what's going on. You know, there's this whole sort of like creating this fantasy world and making sure that no one sees us be human. And I think like our, so our, like our children For me, what's so important for me is being so honest with my kids. If I'm crying, if I'm upset, if there's something bothering me, I'm not going to shield them from that. I want them to know that it is absolutely okay to cry. It's okay to get angry sometimes and get upset, but how do you handle it? How do we, how do we deal with that problem? If you're angry, if you, if you've got something going on, that's totally fine. That's a completely normal human emotion. What do we do about it? Yeah. How do we express it? Yeah. And coming back to the counselling thing, that counselling is not just for someone that's fucked up. It's not just for someone in a DV situation. It's not just for someone who has is at the end of the road. It is for everyone. Yep. Getting outside help if you are in a situation where, like, you don't know how to parent properly or you feel like you're not handling a situation how you think you should. Because, as you said, we're just, we are just emulating what we have been taught. We've just um, reproducing what we've seen. We react to certain situations due to patterns or beliefs or whatever it is or ways that we've watched our parents handle situations doesn't mean it's you. That's not you. That's just what you know. Yeah. And so getting outside help and recognising that and recognising that 
you don't want to be that and it, it doesn't define you or anything like that and you can change it. And there's nothing wrong with getting outside help. There's stigma really needs to go. I'm so passionate about that because I think it's so important. We don't know all the answers. Just because you're you doesn't mean you know the most about you. You know, like yeah. sometimes you need a professional oh, to... I, I'm I'm preaching with you and I think to become your authentic self, yeah. you have to go through that journey. So mm-hmm. I swear by counselling because oh, me too. it is the one thing... Um, that guided and and helped my thinking. Mm-hmm. So I I wore so many different masks, um, or I have worn so many different masks through my life, thinking I had to be a certain way for certain things. Mm. Um, and you know, um, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Just you know, wearing makeup. So I think because I'm a CEO, I should wear a suit and I should wear fancy clothes mm. and I should wear makeup and. And I won't be respected if I don't look like that. Yeah. Um, but the internal me says, I don't, I don't like wearing makeup. I just like to be me. And yeah. should it really matter whether I have makeup or a nice suit on? Because the essence of who I am and what I have to offer is why I'm in front of you. Yeah. Um, and uh, we all suffer with self-doubt and, um, you know, those voices in our head and my staff say to me when I get nervous and um, when I'm going to do like a panel, right? I've been asked to sit on a panel and I read the bios of the other people on the panel and they've got like PhDs and they've got like, you know, mm. universities, degrees and there's little old Jack from South Auckland in New Zealand that's got no degrees or nothing, but I've lived a life yeah. and I have experiences and something to give and it's around my own mindset of stop self-doubting that imposter you know, that syndrome, having hey? to constantly be mindful and thinking positive thoughts around you are good enough and you can sit on that panel and you have something to contribute and you don't have to wear makeup. You People are coming to listen and to hear and be, you know, get information or be inspired. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that. It is hard to oh, drop yeah. masks and to be authentic, but I prefer to be that way and it's taken a long journey to mm-hmm. get to here, and I, I, part of that journey has been seeking help and support for me to understand I'm good enough. And that's, we all think this, right? We all yeah, have these yeah. voices in our head. Absolutely. Um, that we have to kind of like, keep pushing them um, out the way to, to get the positive voice back through and um, to get us moving forward. Finding our worth, figuring yeah. out who we are. And as you said, it is a journey and there's no way to sugarcoat the fact that it's not going to be nice a lot of the time but as soon as you make that decision that and it's just that personal development isn't it life's too short to not spend it being who you really are yeah you know like there's no point being unhappy there's no point pretending there's no point hiding who you truly are or not fully understanding who you are or having parts about yourself that you're not comfortable with and you feel like isn't you yeah like you, you begin the be, journey begin the journey look my my first shot at it that worked out was meeting my husband yeah where I then told him everything yeah and I you know it started out you know as a um friend's you know, hanging out, having a good time. And, you know, then it moved into that next stage. And then we're like, okay, this is going a bit 
bit further. I really kind of like this guy. Yeah. Um, I need to be 100% open and honest and lay my whole life out on the line. And if mm. he chooses to continue the relationship, then it is based on every, you know, on, on full honesty, honesty and disclosure. Yeah. And that was hard. Yeah. And um, I, I'll never forget him sitting next to me, lying next to me, actually, whilst I told him my whole story and, and him crying and saying, I'm just realising what an incredibly credible life I've had and privileged and I'm so grateful and you've been through all of this and you're still here today and you're still, you know, happy and, you know, motivated about life and, yes, I'm in. Mm. You know, so that, so all that self-doubt around he's going to find out all of this stuff about me and I'm not going to be worthy because I've been told. Yes, I'm not, I'm worthy. not worthy. I'm not good enough for I'm him. Not I'm enough. not, yeah. And I also do that to myself, that this man embraced me for who I am and everything about me. And yeah. they're out there. Yes, Like these yes. incredible souls are out there that um, we just have to own us. Yes. And then we can. That's actually another thing. I mean, there's so many, so I much know, that we, we could touch on. I don't know. I haven't even looked at the time. I'm like, whatever needs to be said, it will be said. Um, but because I'm a bit the same, like I've I had a really awful dad and I was in a horrible relationship before my beautiful partner now. And so I always just had this idea of, I guess they're like, to me, a relationship wasn't even supposed to be nice, you know, like in a way, which is so crazy. I was always like, isn't like a good relationship where it's actually kind of just everyone hates each other? Like, isn't that how it works? Um, and I remember when I met my, my partner now, and it wasn't that like, he wasn't charming. He wasn't trying to he wasn't fake and you know that's a lot of the time like I used to always go for the charming guys right because the charming ones a lot of the time they're charming for a reason because they're like a fucking snake <laughs> and that's all part of their manipulation um and he was just kind he never never belittled me he held beautiful space for me he backed me a hundred percent he wanted to hear about all of my, and I reckon like at the beginning, I felt like I was only giving such a small part of myself in the relationship because I was just getting used to how much I could even give of myself because we're so used to being passive. We know nothing else, you know, and the more that we, you know, I'd kind of almost test him. I'm like, <laughs> what if I say this? How's he going to react? And the more that I tested and the more I flourished because I was like, I had this safe space that I could actually just be completely and utterly myself with no fear of anything. And he would just hold that safe space for me. And isn't it so weird almost to be in a relationship like that after you've been in a shit one yeah. and to be like, this is so because the reality is, right, and I'm not sure, I'm sure you can agree with me here, relationships actually aren't supposed to be that hard. And because everyone tells you that relationships are hard, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in one that is full of love and respect, 
it's it's, it's not it's hard. It's so no, easy. It's, it's no, no. I, it's the, the easiest thing. The, and it's and you have moments of pinching yourself because I remember yes. with, with Scotty, it, you know, the washing had finished and and I went to hang it out and he's right there beside me. Yeah. And I'm looking at him and I go, "What are you doing?" And he goes, oh, "Helping you." What do you mean? Like, <laughs> So everything is done as a team. Yeah, yes. But without, with no words, right? Yeah. Like no words, it just naturally happens. Yeah. I work in the city, he works local, I get home, he's got dinner laid out, ready to go. Like just stuff happens and it's easy. Mm. Like it's, yeah, it isn't meant to be hard, I don't think. Yes, and I think if there's, well, yeah, if you're out there and you feel like you're in a relationship that's, because I think your relationship is, I've done a post about this before, it's supposed to be your safe space. Life is hard. Life is can be so difficult, but your relationship should be your safe space. Yes. You are navigating the roller coaster of life together yes. and it should make it easier, not harder. <laughs> Let's end it on that. Oh, it's a happy note. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end it on that. And... So for people who are, all right, let's, if someone wants to find you and yeah. know more about um, the CEO, Australia CEO Challenge, where can they find you? Website. Go Google. Google. So just <laughs> yes, Google. A, just Google Australia's CEO Challenge. Yeah. And everyone's kind of like, what is that name? It doesn't kind of reflect, you know, who you are and what you do. Um, it's a name that. I'm now passionate about because it is when you look at businesses and workplaces, right? Mm -hmm. It's the CEO that makes the decisions. Yeah, whether definitely. They're invest in supporting mm -hmm. their people. Mm -hmm. So, workplace domestic and family violence training. We do partnerships, and I will do a plug. Yes. Because we also do fundraisers because we're not a we're a not for profit. Our major fundraising event mm -hmm. is here in Brisbane. Yeah. On the 27th and 28th of May. We do the darkness to daylight run. Okay. And it's a 110 kilometre run through the night. And it's a symbolic. 110 kilometres. Through the night. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And this. <laughs> no way. There's a 10K and a 3K. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it's a symbolic run. Yes. Okay. So what it is is raising awareness about domestic and family violence and yep. funds for our organisation. Uh, it started seven years ago. We had 300 participants last year. We had three and a half thousand. <gasps> wow. Uh, we have schools, workplaces, you name it. We do a 10K loop um, through the night. Um, it's symbolic. It's, it's about um, a community coming together to say that we care. Uh, we raise our voices together and we walk through the night knowing that... Um, Someone leaving a relationship usually leaves in the middle of the night mm. with their kids, um, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. So we start the evening in the evening and then we go through to the morning. Um, and it's just an incredible way for a community to come together, uh, raise some funds and um, get fit and do the walk. Um, anyone who wants to, I've decided right here, right now, and so I'm absolutely held accountable even though I – hate running, um, I'm going to do it. And if anyone wants to join, join me, let's, I'll start like a, please ask Mickey, like I'll create a Facebook group for we those of us. Registrations, so I'll have my registrations. I'll have my registrations. 
yeah, have you can do a ten k. So you can there's a ten k. Yeah, and what that is is we um, all meet together for the last ten k's. Yeah, the hundred and ten, and then a three k walk for mums and prams and you know dogs and everyone yeah. else <gasps> that, um, that kind of comes along. Um, there's a video in there um, about where it came from and it the founder Rob Reed. Um, it's from a, an initiative that he did uh, where you run with a message. Mm. Uh, so it's about that. It's not about times. It's not about anything oh, no. like that. <laughs> that was mean. not the first thought that crossed my mind. <laughs> links and everything I can give you. Um, yes. Mr. Daylight is on our events page of our website. Great. Everything I'll share all of this with everyone. team and everything we yep. do is on there. And, and thank you for having me oh. and the opportunity to... You know, have a conversation with a, a fellow passionate uh, woman. Um, I think the work you're doing is great. Thanks. Oh, I feel exactly the same. Thank you so, so much for coming on. It has been a gift. Thank you. Um, don't forget to rate, subscribe, review. I always forget the order of that. Um, if you love this podcast and tell all of your friends because it helps um, the Please Ask Mickey podcast out a lot. Thank you again, Jackie. You're welcome. And I'll see you all guys. I'll see all you guys next week. Thank you. Please Ask Mickey is a Hit Network original podcast produced at Hit 105 Studios in Brisbane. Created, hosted, and produced by Michaela Burnett. Check out pleaseaskmickey.com. Editorial support from Julia Foskey, executive producers Scott McDonald and Matthew Eggleston. For more great audio stories, check out hit.com.au. Listener.